Let's clap our hands to the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for being faithful to us. You are good, you are good, you are good. Well, I am uh, tasked today with speaking to you about investing. And uh, that's a high task. There's a preacher that went into his church and he was praying and he was in that place of adoration for God. And he asked God, he said, how long is, is 10 million years to you, Lord? And the Lord answered and said, one second. And he just continued his adoration and he just said, Lord, how much is $10 million to you? And the Lord said, one penny. And he thought to himself for a moment and thought he might pull one over on God. And he, he said, Lord, I'd just like to have one penny. Lord said, absolutely, just give me a second. <laughs> well, this is a, uh, you may be seated by the way. We have no text. We could read a text for the sake of having a text, but uh, I want to give honor to your pastor and, and uh, thank you all. Uh, for the opportunity to speak to you today about this topic, I I am uh, I'm a bivocational pastor, and I work uh, in the capacity of financial planning. Uh, so this is not a foreign topic to me. Um, it's something that I work with continually, uh, which is why your pastor, who is uh, very much trying to equip the people of God uh, to live a a blessed life, Amen. Um. I love the, the flow or the, the, the idea that I've heard him articulate, which is uh, be good to that man or that woman speaking of your older self. How many thinks that we should treat that person good? Ourselves in 30 or 40 years. Well, part of that comes through uh, investing. Before I get started, I, 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 I want to address a couple of, of um uh, items here. Number one, uh, this is a broad audience, and one of the difficulties with addressing any broad audience, and by the way, this applies to preaching as well, is every single one of you are, are sitting in different places, not just in the physical seat that you're, you're sitting in, but you're in different places in your life. You're different ages, you're different uh, educational levels, you have different amounts of knowledge about whatever topic we are discussing. Uh, and the more broad the audience, the more difficult it is to uh, engage everyone. So some of you at times might find that the, the topic is a little bit elementary, or some of you might at times find out that it is over your head. Uh, try to stay engaged and with us. If it seems a little bit elementary, perhaps there will be something that comes up later that engages you. And if you are uh, find yourself where it feels like it's over your head, uh, be sure to write down questions uh, that you would like to ask. Uh, we will not have questions uh, at the end of the, the uh, presentation today, but we will uh, be answering questions next week. So it's important that you have those questions. If you are thinking those questions, somebody else 
is thinking the question, thinking about the question as well. Make sense? So you, you ever hear people say there's no bad questions? That's not true. There's awful questions. Of course there's bad questions. But most of your questions should be good. So um, be sure that you write down your questions and ask them and bring them next week. And we have a lot of bases to cover, and we, we have a lot that we're going to go through. So I'm going to try to move relatively quickly through this. Now, it is impossible to make you an investment expert in a 45-minute session. That's impossible. So that, if that's your expectation, we're probably not going to do that. But what we can do is we can whet your appetite to perhaps make you more interested, and we can make the whole idea of investing less intimidating. If you are not intimidated by it, if you're not intimidated by thinking about it, by studying it, by looking into it, uh, then you're going to be more likely to do it. And one thing that was loud and clear uh, in my instructions uh, was that we want practical things that people can walk out of here and do. Amen? So it's not good enough just to know about it, uh, but you, it's important to get started. Uh, financial success is not that complicated. And I know that there are some of you that will say, no, it is perhaps complicated, and there are some of you that will say, no, it's, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. But, but I, I think we can find somewhere in between that, that there's, it's not as difficult as we might make it out to be. You spend less than what you make, and then you invest the excess wisely. That's the gist of it. Spend less than you make and invest the excess wisely. The challenge is that dieting's not that difficult either. Or should I say it's not that complicated. But it's all fun and games until somebody brings out the chocolate cake. So there's a difference between what we know and what seems simple and walking out the doors and doing it. And what I found is that success in almost every endeavor in your life is dictated by your habits. You show me your habits and I'll show you what you are. Even the devil. The devil doesn't care how much you say you believe. He cares what your habits are. Because if he can control your habits, then he can control you. It's the same with, with, with investing. It's the same with uh, uh, becoming financially successful as we have to be dictated uh, uh, by good habits. Good habits bring success, and bad habits bring financial challenges. So it's important that you do that. Now, I want to address first and foremost before I get into some definitions of of uh, basic investing, investing concepts, I want to address a couple of roadblocks that I think are important. Uh, you are trying to get from point A to point B. That's what financial success really is. It's, I'm, I'm trying to get from here, where, I'm in right, where I am right now, to over here, which is where I want to be financially. And along the way, there can be roadblocks that stop us. So, I want to address what I believe to be one of the biggest roadblocks that you will face. And if, if you do not address this, you will never get from point A to point B. And this seems obvious, but it's important. The first thing that will keep you from having financial success is lack of a financial plan. Is lack of a financial plan. If you do not have a plan, it doesn't matter how many goals that you have, uh, you will never achieve your goals because the plan is what's going to get you there. It's the map. 
I have seldom met with people who have accumulated large amounts of money. And I mean this sincerely. I have seldom met them who said in their opening statements or said that one day they opened up their statement and saw a million dollars and said, wow, I didn't see that coming. No one says that ever, unless perhaps they, you know, they, in, they inherited a large sum of money, and we can all agree that we hate those people. No, no, we, we don't hate anyone. <laughs> we just want to be you if you're that person. But people have a goal, and through discipline, time, and effort, they continue to work towards whatever that goal was. They monitored it. And they had a plan and they followed through with it. So let me ask you a few questions in this place today about your plan. When are you going to retire? It's a good question. What sort of things do you want to do in retirement? These are not rhetorical questions. These are real questions uh, that you should be thinking about. Do you want to leave money to your kids? Do you want to, as some people say it, spend every dime and they can fend for themselves? I've raised them. I've done all I'm supposed to do. They're good for their own now. You going to pay for a nursing home? How much are you going to need to cover your basic expenses in retirement? What do you maybe want to do above and beyond what you just need? Are you going to travel? You going to go somewhere? Or are you just going to open up a can of cat food and eat that for dinner and What sort of dreams do you have? If any? What about your kids? Are they going to go to school somewhere? You're going to pay for college? You're not going to pay for college? If you, if you have these great dreams of grandeur and them going and getting some education somewhere, maybe you want them to go to Bible college. Have you thought about how you're going to pay for it? Have you thought about maybe at some point in time you want to take your family on some great vacation uh, to... Uh, Disney World or Disneyland. I hope that that's okay to even mention that. I hope you guys, uh, if it's not Disneyland, just go to Dollywood or whatever <laughs> you guys do that is approved of. Point being is, you, you know, you, you're going to say for it, you, you don't want to go into a great amount of debt to do that. Um, some of you have perhaps a spiritual gift of giving. You know, we should all be givers as Christians. That's part of our makeup. Uh, having a heart for God means that we have a heart for giving because we believe the Scriptures that says when it's, it's better to give than to receive. That's, that's ingrained in us. But some of you are, are supernaturally gifted in giving. Some of you, some of you have a, a heart that lets, lets go of money and releases it like nothing. It's supernatural. But you might not have anything to let go of because you haven't planned for it. So maybe, you've, maybe you want to give 
$1,000 to a missionary. Maybe you want to give $5,000 to a missionary. Maybe you want to fund another church's building project. Maybe when you pass away, you want to leave your wealth to maybe take care of kids. Maybe some of you don't have kids, but you want to leave some great amount of wealth to uh, the body of Christ and to fund something. All of these things are questions that, that if, if you don't know or have a plan to get there, you're never going to see it happen. Because as one man says it, a goal without a plan is just a wish. A goal without a plan is just a wish. I've had, I used to have this conversation a lot. I'd get bored with friends and you, you know, you'd, you'd spark up a conversation just for the sake of talking. Um, and you ask the question, what, what, what would you do if you, you know, became a, you, you hit the lottery? Has anybody ever had that conversation before? I'd go, some of the, some of the things are, are just ridiculous. Like, I'd buy a Lamborghini. What are you going to do in a Lamborghini? Come on. You know what I've found? Is that most of the things that seem the most meaningful don't actually cost that much. In other words, you could actually achieve them. It might cost something. But if you have a plan, you put your mind to it, you save, you invest, uh, then, then you can actually achieve that. The second thing, that's so one roadblock, is you've got to have a plan. Because a plan, uh, or a, a goal without a plan is just a wish. Remember that. A goal without a plan is just a wish. But the second thing that you need to do is you need to start now. Now. One of the worst roadblocks that you will ever have is procrastination. Well, I'm going to get started tomorrow. Like one man said it, he said, procrastination is my sin. It brings me constant sorrow. I really shouldn't practice it, but perhaps I'll stop tomorrow. Yeah, procrastination is my sin. So, so procrastination is a dangerous thing, and especially when it comes to achieving your financial goals because one of your greatest assets that you have financially is time. And I'll show you in a few moments why that's necessary. So you have to address both having a plan and not delaying the plan because there will always be something else that comes up. There will always be somewhere else that you can spend your money. My wife and I have an understanding that our bank account is the black hole. Once it hits the black hole, it's gone. Anybody else sympathetic to that? So if it flows out as quick as it goes in, if you aren't intentional about saying, I'm starting and I'm going to do something about it before it hits the black hole, then it's just going to keep hitting the black hole and you're going to be standing here three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ten years away and you're going to say, boy, I've not any closer to my goals than what I was before, and I really don't have anything to show for it. So it's critical that we get started. So uh, you, you want to you have a plan, and you want to get started now. So let's talk about some fundamental concepts with investing. Now, again, this is to whet your appetite, and this is to make the whole process seem less intimidating than it is. So the very first thing that you want to do before you even start investing is you want to have a little uh, nest egg or a little cluster of money that you have packaged for an emergency fund, a rainy day fund. 
Now, you'll hear all sorts of answers as to how much you need to have. Um, It's really more complicated than that. But for the most part, people will say, you know, three months' worth of expenses. Some people say six. Some people say a year's worth of expenses that you have saved in order to help you float you if you lose your job. So I couldn't come in a situation where I lose my job. I need to make sure I can pay my bills for that period of time. So the assumption is that you have some sort of emergency fund built up. Uh, I would argue that that you are aggressively working your way out of debt if you have any sort of major debts that you should be working. Some believe that you should get out of debt before you invest. Some believe that you should just get started because there will always be something else coming up. So going ahead and attacking it. Uh, I'm, I'm... agnostic or indifferent on that, but I think it's important that uh, you at least are addressing having an emergency fund put away. Now, once you've built up that money, you are now ready to invest. So what is investing? I'm glad you asked. It's purchasing assets with the goal of growing your money for the future. It's purchasing assets or something with the goal of growing that asset for the future. Now before that can make sense, you might ask the question, why do I need my money to grow? Why would I not just save my money? Why would I not just put my money under a mattress? Why invest at all? Well, there's a problem with money, and there's a problem especially with money under your mattress. There is this term that you may or may not understand or you may have never heard of before. It's called inflation. Inflation is the silent killer of your money. You lose without ever knowing that you lose. Best way to think of it is if you've been on earth any length of time at all, you know, or maybe you haven't been on earth a long time. Maybe you've just heard your grandfather say, I remember when I used to be able to buy a soda pop for a nickel. You ever heard that? You know what happened? You know why soda went from 50 or 5 cents to 50 cents and what is what is it now a buck 75 or whatever a pop is? Inflation. That means that the the purchasing power of your money has decreased. When I was a kid, an average house, I mean, I'm not old, I'm 36 years old. The average house costs 50 grand. You know, now houses are, you know what, I don't know what they go in Zanesville. It's a lot cheaper in West Virginia, I'm sure, but um, I'm, what, 100 to 150,000 bucks here for a house? Why the increase in cost? Well, that's inflation. In other words, that dollar that you put under your mattress that you're saving for 30 years down the road, It might buy half as much. So you want to invest in order to, at a minimum, make sure that the purchasing power of your money keeps pace with inflation. Does that make sense? Right, so number one, why would I invest? Why wouldn't I just put it under a mattress? Because you, you want to make sure that your money keeps up with inflation. The second reason that, that you would want to invest your money is to take advantage of the opportunity for your money to work for you. 
to take advantage of the opportunity for your money to work for you. So I'll get into the idea of compound interest and how powerful it is in a moment, but if you understand it, it will change the way that you view your money and especially the way that you view time. So let me tell you, start by just telling you a little story about a man who bought a tree. Okay, let me tell you about a story about a man who bought a tree. Okay, so there's this man, and he has 100 bucks, and he's got $100 that he decides, you know what, this is laying around doing nothing. I want to take my $100, and I want to do something with it. And he finds out somebody's selling an apple tree, maybe like a, uh, let's say, Red Delicious or Macintosh or whatever your, whatever your flavor is. But he's selling these apple trees. So he takes $100, and he says, you know what? I think I could sell apples off of my apple tree. So I'm going to take the $100, and I'm going to purchase an apple tree. He purchases one apple tree. He plants it. It produces uh, in the, that year. And, and look, I know it takes three years before you want to take fruit and all that. But let's just for simplification, let's go for just that, that he plants a tree. And the first year... He produces such a harvest of apples that he's able to sell them for $10. Ten bucks. So his $100 investment gave him $10 of return. That's called your return on your investment. The way that you calculate your rate of return is you take what your growth was and you divide it by your initial investment. So your growth was, somebody following me, $10. What was your initial investment? 100. 10 divided by 100 is, it's a fraction, 0.1, or 10%. So 10% was the rate of return. Now that's year one. He had an annual or a one-year rate of return of 10%. Now, This man has a choice at this point. Maybe he was saving it for something that he was going to use one year down the road, and he now needs to sell the tree to somebody else, perhaps hopefully for what he sold it for or bought it for, 100 bucks, and he'll take his $10, so it's $110, and use that and just say, look, that's what the goal was for the money. The other thing that he can do is say, you know what? I'm going to take my $10 in earnings, my return, And I'm going to reinvest that in another tree. Won't get as big of a tree, but I'll get a little one, and it might produce some fruit. So now he's in year two, and he took the $10, and he purchased a second tree, a little one. And this year, his apple tree, the big one, produces the same fruit, $10 worth, And his little tiny tree produces one piece of fruit. So now he's got $11 in return because he reinvested that. Now, if you keep doing this over and over again, you can see the growth is is moving upwards. And it has a snowball effect to where you have something called compound interest. And Einstein claims it's one of the most powerful things in the entire universe is compound interest. He's the guy that discovered the formula for it. 
What do you think after a decade that his tree produced? Ten years. Well, the first knee-jerk answer would be, well, it's just ten years worth of, of, of fruit, so he should just have, or ten years worth of return, so he should just have another $100. Ten times ten. No, no, no. The reinvestment made a compounding effect. So after ten years, he now has $259 because of the compound, the reinvestment. So let's assume he's now getting a 10% rate of return on $259. He's in year 10. And he at this point can say, look, I can sell all my apple orchard, or I can buy more. Well, now 10% is giving him $26 in interest. So he's taking the $26 and he's reinvesting it and buying more, and then those are producing more. So let's see what happens to him after 10 years. So it's year 20 now. He's waited another 10 years, and his $100 investment by itself is now worth $672. That's what happened at year 20. He can cash out now. Maybe it's time for him to spend the money. Or he can continue reinvesting his return back into more apple trees. He does that, decides to. He's going to do it for another 10 years. At year 30, his $100 investment is worth $1,744. See what's happening? The, the snowball effect is, is growing. Time matters. The last 10 years was more important than the first because you're now, your money's cooking. It's baking more. So it's necessary. At year 40, after 10 more years, and this is finally his retirement, uh, his money is now worth $4,525. His 10% rate of return now produces $450 a year. In the beginning, all he put in was 100 See how that works? That's the magic of compounding. Now, 10% rate of return is a large rate of return. And most rates of return don't grow on a fixed line like that. Usually there's fluctuations in most, most of your rates of return. But we, for the illustrative purposes of understanding compound, I held some things constant. But for the most part, what you have is the understanding that if I can let, if I can use time and I can reinvest what I'm making, I use the compounding interest as a powerful magnifier of what I've initially put in. A good, an easy way to, to think of it or to understand how long it takes your money to double, and you could see what happened in this example, is it's called the rule of 72. Does anybody know what that is? Rule of 72, any finance majors in here? The rule of 72 is you divide, take 72 and divide it by your rate of return and that tells you how long it takes your money to double, assuming that you reinvest it. 72 divided by 10 means that his money doubled in just 7.2 years. That's why after year 10, he had $270 rather than 200 because you're reinvesting and there's the, mat, there's the power of compounding. So you have to understand waiting to save some of you are younger in this place today, and you think, well, I don't have very much money to save. Yeah, you don't, but you know what you have? Time. 
don't wait. Save and invest something uh, for the sake of, of uh, the compound interest that you'll get. So, we're talking about apple trees, but what do, what do most people invest in? What are most people interested in investing in? The most uniform thing that you will get is a stock. Most people talk about a stock, and that's when people think about investing. Now, you can invest in real estate. You can invest in apple orchards. You can invest in tree. There's all sorts of things you can invest in. But for the most part, most financial institutions uh, will talk to you about stocks, bonds, and money markets or bank accounts is kind of the, the different things. So what exactly is a stock? What exactly is a stock? Think uh, A stock is simply ownership in a company that will allow you to partake in the profits or the growth of that company. That's all a stock is. So if I buy Apple stock, I, in a sense, when I buy one share, I own a part of Apple stock. Right? I own a part, I should say, of Apple, the company itself. Now, why, why would I do that? Why would I be interested in buying Apple? Because I hope... That Apple is a profitable company. They're selling lots of iPhones, things like that. So I hope that they are profitable and that they will pass through some of their profits to me in the form of a dividend. That's what stocks pay. Stocks pay dividends. I also hope that Apple will become more successful and they'll become a larger company. And perhaps my stock that maybe I bought it was $100 for the share. Like the tree, I bought the tree for $100. The dividend, think of the dividend as a fruit. The tree itself is 100 The stock, maybe later, people want it more, and maybe I can sell it for 200 That is called capital gains. So the two things that you get from a stock is you get a dividend or income, think of the fruit, or you get growth in the value of it. That's called capital gains. That would be like if you bought your first tree for $100 and after a year you sold it for $200. That's a capital gain uh, for it. So those are the two things that you get with the stock. So a stock is just ownership in a company. And for the most part, when you buy stocks, you receive the profits of those companies and you will usually beat inflation and will give yourself a rate of return above and beyond that. So that's what a stock is. The second type of instrument that people typically buy when they invest are called bonds. Anybody ever heard of a bond? If stock is ownership in a company, and by the way, this is important because some of you probably have 401ks or things like that, and you have options of either stocks or bonds to invest in in those 401ks. So it's kind of important that you understand this. Uh, The second thing is a bond. If a stock is, is ownership, bond is like a company owing you. So I give a company $100, and it's basically me loaning them money, and they promise me that they're going to give me my money back, and they're also going to give me some interest in return. So if a stock is ownership of a company, me hoping that the company's profitable and I get a profit, bond is basically me loaning a company money or loaning the government money. There's government bonds Companies issue bonds as well. Apple might issue bonds. So I give Apple money, and Apple says, look, I'll pay you back, and I'll give you some interest in return for it. That's what a bond is. 
generally speaking, stocks are more volatile. They move up and down more. There's more risk with them. And they will give you or compensate you with a higher average rate of return. That's a general rule of thumb when you look at all stocks together. Bonds are considered to be safer because most companies will pay their debts before they will give profits to their shareholders or their stock owners. So bonds are considered to be a safer investment. But those are the two general types of asset classes. And then you just have general money markets, which are treasury certificates or like bank accounts where you just get an interest-bearing account. And those are considered to be the safest of the three asset classes. And they will also, in turn, give you the lowest rate of return. But they will not move down in value. Uh, they will hold their value. That's the goal. So th these types of things that you can buy, a stock or a bond, uh, it's important that you understand how to buy them because it's more than just going out and buying one. Buying one tree, uh, one apple tree, has a risk, especially because if I buy just apple trees and suddenly an outbreak comes of, of some sort of blight or like uh, some sort of sickness in apple orchards, and my whole apple orchard dies, then I lose all of my investment because I put everything into apple trees. So what may have been wise is to, in the, in the, for the sake of diversification, this is a term that you'll want to learn, for the sake of diversification, it may have been wise to not just buy apple trees, but to also maybe at some point buy some orange trees. Or perhaps... Maybe buy some maple trees and produce maple syrup. And I will diversify my risk by owning different types of trees. So I'm not concentrated and putting all of my eggs in one basket. You'll hear that term a lot when you, people talk about investing. So, so the goal is not just to own perhaps a single stock, but the goal is to diversify your risk amongst many different investment types um, rather than maybe just having uh, uh, an one Apple stock where I invest everything in Apple. Well, now I have a high risk that maybe Apple goes out of business and I lose everything. Think Kmart. Walmart came along and put Kmart out of business. When's the last time you went into a Kmart? So what do you do? Well, maybe you buy 100 companies and rather than just having one. This is called diversification, and it's also an important principle when you decide that you are going to invest. Now, some of you are glossing over because you're thinking to yourself, this is all getting really confusing. I have good news for you in a moment to, to, to let you know there's things that can help you with this that make it less complicated. But you just have to understand the nuances. You don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. There are large companies. There are mid-sized companies. There are small companies. And some of these companies do different at things at different times. There are energy companies. There are consumer staples like grocery stores. There are tech companies. There are pharmaceutical companies. And all of these different types of companies behave differently, and they have different types of risks. So to properly invest, you want to make sure that you are spreading your risk out amongst all the different types of stocks. This is called asset allocation. You want to hold things that zig when other things zag. That's the gist of it. And asset allocation is you simply understanding how much risk you want to hold in your portfolio and diversifying your risk for it to be the right amount of risk for you. 
So your strategy might be, I want to be a moderate risk tolerance, I want to be aggressive risk tolerance, I want to be low risk tolerance. But an asset allocation strategy is simply you having that strategy and building an investment mix that is appropriate for that risk tolerance as well as your own goals. So, those are basic principles of portfolio investing. Diversification, asset allocation, getting the right recipe of all of those different types of stocks, spreading my risk out, and keeping stocks, bonds, and cash all together. Now, if you hear that and it sounds overwhelming, the good news is there's this investment tool that's called mutual funds, which is basically an investment where a bunch of people get together, perhaps something like a bunch of people in this room, we all throw $100 in a pot together, and then we give it to a money manager or a professional manager to say, we all have the same goal, we all have the same levels of risk, we don't know how to build this whole pie, so we want you to do it for us, and this is the parameters that we are putting on you. We want it to be big companies. We want it to be aggressive. Or no, we want it to be maybe a moderate mix between stocks and bonds. We don't want too much risk because I'm not comfortable with seeing my money move up and down so much. That's called a mutual fund, and that's all it is. And these are probably what most of you are familiar with. There's probably, if you have a retirement plan, that's usually what they use in retirement plans. And they have mutual funds that are very easy that you just pick the appropriate amount of risk that you're comfortable with. So you say, hey, I have a moderate risk tolerance, or I'm aggressive. I don't mind seeing my money move up and down in value. And they will make sure that you are diversified, that you have the right ratios of large, mid, and small size companies, and it's all packaged into the investment itself. They also have these new uh, investments or new mutual funds called life cycle funds, which are target date funds where you just pick the date that you're actually going to retire or the date that your goal is coming to fruition, and they will move the allocation for you automatically over time. These are all designed to help you to make these your investing easier. So those are, those are your basic principles of portfolio management, stocks and bonds, and mutual funds are an easy way that most retirement plans address that to make it easy on you, the investor. Does that make sense? So let me give you, I know I'm, I'm, I'm at time. Got just a few minutes. So let me give you a couple of other small tidbits. The two things that will hurt you in investing is fear and greed. If you are an investor and you see your investments move up in value, you will have a tendency if you're Investing in it to say, hey, I'm, I actually want more of that. And I want to be more aggressive than I currently am because things are good. That's greed. Everybody wants to buy into the market when things are good. What's the problem with that? Usually, they're going to go bad. Then I buy, so I, so I jump in because I've been hearing from everybody, hey, I've earned 10% of my investment in my retirement plan. You know, it's all through this fund. So you jump into it and you say, I want to do this one because it's doing the most. So you jump in, you buy in for 100 bucks uh, a share. The market goes down and you see your money move from 100 to $75. And you think, oh no, I'm going to lose all of my money. What do you do? You get fearful 
and you sell. So I bought it for $100 and I sold it for $75. Now, nobody makes money like that. Right? Selling things for less than you bought them for is not something that savvy investors do. What should you do if you've got an investment portfolio and maybe it's properly, assuming it's properly diversified, it's right, and you know, you've, 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 you're doing the right principles, you've got an asset allocation strategy, the right thing to do is it drops down to 75 to think, oh wow, well I'm not, I don't need the money now, I'm a couple of years away. Hey, it's actually a great time to invest now because I'm getting things cheaper. The best way to think about this, think about this like real estate. If you are living in your house, do you care what you can sell your house for? Doesn't really matter, does it? You're not selling. So if you know that you are investing in something for 20 years down the road, if it moves down in value some, you should feel comfortable knowing that I am not a seller right now. In fact, to use the real estate example and further that, if you had a real estate investment and I own, maybe I'm, I've, I own my own house and maybe I'm buying some other things and then suddenly the real estate market gets crushed and now I can buy houses rather than $75,000, i am getting them for fifty. I wouldn't be unhappy about that. I'd be thrilled. Everything's much cheaper and if I had cash, I'd be gobbling them up knowing that later when they return, when the market recovers, I'm going to be able to sell them for a profit. So you have to know what phase you're in. And if you're in an accumulation phase, meaning you're buying investments, if there are downturns in the market, you can feel more comfortable knowing this is part of what happens and I'm going to allow fear to cause me to sell everything abruptly, but I'm going to keep my strategy of my asset allocation. If I'm moderate, if I'm low risk, if I'm higher, I'm going to maintain that strategy and stick with it. If my portfolio worked for me when things were good, it should also work for me when things aren't good. It should be an all-weather portfolio. If you can't handle the ups and the downs, then you shouldn't have been in that aggressive of a portfolio in the first place. You should have been in a more conservative mix. So getting the right asset allocation strategy is critical for your success to protect you from the two things that will hurt you, which are fear and greed. Does that make sense? Last thing I'll say is invest early. I told you that before. Invest early. Very, very important. Take advantage of compound interest. Um, time is on your side, even if you don't have a lot. The second thing is invest often. In other words, make it a habit to invest. Some of you all have a 401k available to you. Um, that's a great way for you to save for retirement. Uh, the one thing that you can't borrow to finance is your retirement. So you better be saving for that. If you don't save for anything else, you better be saving for retirement. Because nobody's going to, you can't borrow money to fund your retirement. So your 401k might be available through your work. It's easy. It's usually done through payroll deduction. They'll take the money right out of your paycheck. You never see it come in. It has tax advantages to it. We can talk more about those next week if we have more time. If you're interested or you have questions about the tax advantages of Roth versus traditional contributions, the pros and cons to each, and the presuppositions that you're making whenever you choose one of those. Um, and secondly, you can, you can also uh, potentially have a match through your employer plan. 
So many times your employer plan, if you put in 1%, they might put in 1% for you as well for free. It'd be like buying a tree for $100 and somebody coming along and saying, well, I'll just give you one for $100 too. You basically double your investment just like that instantly. So you want to take advantage of your employer match. There's vesting and other things that might come into play with that, and we can talk more in details next week when we have more time if you have questions about your employer-sponsored plan. They will usually have mutual funds. They will usually have life cycle investments or risk-based funds that make investing very easy and not intimidating for you. And most of the time, they'll have you know, a, a plan sponsor uh, or some employer sponsor that will actually, you can call and ask them for the investment advice uh, to help set that up. So it's important to do that. So invest early, invest often, and invest in things that you understand. Know what you're investing in. You don't have to know everything about investments, but if somebody comes along trying to sell you oceanfront property, be very, in Arizona, be very skeptical. Okay? Invest early, invest often, and know what you're investing in. Thanks. Let's stand to our feet. Wasn't that great? Reminds me. I mean, this is great, great information, and uh, I know that we've received it tonight. It's kind of like, you know, if you don't do nothing, that's kind of silly. We're getting this so we can do something so we can be blessed. Amen? It's kind of like the person says, well, I don't want to work at McDonald's. Well, that's kind of crazy. And I ask him, I say, hey, will you buy me a cup of coffee? Well, I ain't got no money. Well, I'm going to go right into McDonald's. Somebody's working at McDonald's, ask them to buy me a cup of coffee, they're going to do it. <laughs> so you got zero. <laughs> And what they're investing in, they got some money. Amen? So you just can't, what I'm saying is from this, we just can't do nothing. We have to apply it and try to do something. Amen? Let's pray. God, in Jesus' name, thank you for what we heard tonight, the wisdom, Lord Jesus. And uh, reminded as our pastor has taught us to be good to this man. And this is intertwined within that thought and that message, Lord. And Lord, we receive it tonight. I pray, Lord God, that it will just simply, as we apply this, Lord God, we will see the blessing of it, and we know that we will, that we'll all take that step of faith, Lord, and realize that money to us is a gift from you, that you have given us strength in our bodies and wisdom in our minds and uh, the capabilities, Lord, to go to work and to make money. And that's for a reason, Lord God, that goes beyond just simply bills and food and things of that nature. But, God, there's more of a blessing that can come, Lord God, through uh, our working where we work at, Lord. Help us to take good advantage of that, Jesus. And thank you for our time tonight, Lord Jesus. I pray that you bless each and every one as they leave this house. Give them good rest tonight. Wake up in the morning, Lord, and visit them as they call on your name. Bless them. And everyone said in Jesus' name, amen. Make sure you say what's up to somebody.